Good morning, everybody. Nice to be with you here today. <clears throat> I've got a bit of a rough throat, as you heard me yesterday. It's improved a little. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> uh, open your Bibles, please, first of all, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Verse 1. <clears throat> now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. Okay, got two. <clears throat> Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. All over the world today, people are remembering <clears throat> the fact that Christ rose from the dead. To many people, it's just Easter. Doesn't mean much, except that it happens to be a holiday. <clears throat> However, we want to think about his resurrection today. It's the, it's the pillar. I'm not going to call it religion because we don't have a religion. It's the pillar of Christianity. As we heard in our earlier meeting, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our gathering would be absolutely a waste of time. Shortly after we got married, <clears throat> we came via uh, Palestine and spent a week there. We went to the garden tomb, and as we went to see uh, what was in there, a lady stepped out and she said, He is not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Praise God for that. We went on to <clears throat> France and uh, they showed us around the sites there. One of the 
great man of France is a man, was a man called Napoleon, and they took us to Napoleon's sarcophagus, a big marble building, and inside this grave with a, a marble, a marble top, and of course inside a bunch of bones. <clears throat> they said, this is the glory of France. Well, okay. We went on to London, to the British Museum, because they had just dug up the remains of one of the great pharaohs in Egypt. And they had brought his, part of the things they found in that grave to the British Museum for people to see. That man was buried in three coffins. They opened the first, and then they opened the second, and then to their surprise, the third was solid gold. And as they opened that solid gold coffin, they saw the shriveled up, mummified body of a youth with one leg shorter than the other, just a bunch of crippled bones. The glory of Egypt. David Long talks of a, a man who went to Mecca <clears throat> you know, they go there by the thousands every year, and they surround that little black stone, a shiny marble stone, and that's where Muhammad was buried. <clears throat> and this particular man, as he stood uh, or knelt in front of that Kaaba, that black stone, the last thing he wanted to see was the burial place of Muhammad. And so as he gazed upon that sight, the most wonderful thing ever to his, in his mind, he got, two, he got a stick and he punched out both his eyes and blinded himself So the rest of the life, his life. He would remember the glory of Islam, the glory of France, the glory of Islam, <clears throat> the glory of Egypt, just a bunch of bones. But the glory of God, an empty tomb. And that's what we think about today. It's a fact of history. This was referred to this morning. Two great facts. One is that Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on that cross. As we read here, he was... Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was prophesied. It was fulfilled. He died. Why? For our sins. A fact of history. And then it says what? He was buried and, the, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The second fact of history. Let's think, first of all, <clears throat> some of the results of the resurrection. And the first thing, based upon that verse, is that the resurrection fulfilled a prophecy from the Old Testament. A thousand years before, in Psalm 16, verse 10, we read these words, Thou wilt not suffer my soul in hell. Sorry, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. In the book of Acts, Peter 
reminds us this is referring to the resurrection of Christ. His body was put in the grave. It never saw corruption because three days later he rose triumphant from that grave. <clears throat> and so the first result of the resurrection is just this, that it fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. And if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find there are more than 300 detailed prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them came true. Even to the saying how many pieces of silver he would be sold for when Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Every single one. You see, if one prophecy failed to come true, then we would discard the Bible and say, well, it doesn't come from God. But every prophecy came true. And so the resurrection fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. And therefore, secondly, it tells us that this book is God's book. There is no other book inspired by God. There is no other book that is true from cover to cover. The only one you'll ever see is the one I'm holding up now or the one you have in your hands. Proven to us by the resurrection. Every single prophecy, 30, more than 330 concerning the Lord Jesus and many, many other detailed prophecies which if you check your history books, you'll find came true. You know, we used to teach um, the Bible as volunteer teachers in the government schools <clears throat> when we were a bit younger. And we were doing um, Acts chapter 12 where, and, uh, about Herod. He, he chopped off James's head. He put Peter in prison. And he intended after uh, the weekend, it was the same Passover weekend, uh, to take, take Peter's head off his shoulders. Well, that didn't happen because God delivered him. But then at the end of that chapter, <clears throat> uh, this man, Herod, who had opposed God and rejected the message of Christ, he lifted himself up so in such a proud way, and he came out appearing to the people, and they shouted out, that's the voice of a god, not a king, not a, not a man. And God struck him down. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible said he was eaten of worms and died. And those young high school kids said, but sir, we've never seen a guy eaten by worms and then die. You first die, then you get eaten by worms. Right? I said, go and check, go and check your history books. Because the Bible is always right. They checked their history books and they found that what the Bible said was exactly what happened. That man was eaten by worms, maybe he had peritonitis or something or other, and for three days in terrible agony, he suffered until finally he died. <clears throat> the resurrection proves to us by the fulfillment of those prophecies that we have the word of God, and there is no other word, and we don't need to make apologies for it, and we need to stand up on the truth of this book. And it may not be politically correct uh, to tell people this is the only truth. 
But nevertheless, God tells us it's the truth. And the one who rose from the dead told us, I am the way. There is no other way to, to get to heaven except by him. The way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. And so the resurrection reminds us <clears throat> that this is indeed nothing else but the written, inspired word of the living God. Thirdly, <clears throat> uh, flipping over a few verses back to Romans chapter 1, the resurrection demonstrated to the whole world that Jesus was who he said he was, God, God the Son. Look at Romans chapter 1 if you want. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 3 and 4, um, the Apostle Paul is talking, and it says in verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of, from the dead. He was publicly declared, publicly demonstrated to the whole world, that he is and was and always has been the Son of God. <clears throat> and if you don't believe he's the Son of God, there's no way you can be saved. That's what we read in the first epistle of John. He is the Son of God because only the sinless, spotless Son of God could but die for our sins. Everyone else who's a sinner must die for their own sins. But to die in the place of someone else, you have to be as God, God the Son. And so the resurrection demonstrates to the whole world that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, there's all kinds of people around the world, and I've got one here. <clears throat> I am the Christ. See this? Took it out of a newspaper in Malawi last year. And this guy says, uh, the man the scriptures say in Micah verse 2, that was me. I am the one. I am Jesus Christ. This guy. He said, I was born in Palombe. That's another name for Bethlehem. The world's full of them. They die. Their bodies rot. That's the end of them. But God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead, triumphant over death, triumphant over the devil, triumphant over sin. <clears throat> and so the resurrection reminds us that he is indeed God, God the Son. Fourthly, the resurrection confirms to us that the sacrifice he made on that cross when he suffered for our sins was accepted by God. You know, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, there was a great big thick curtain. He had to go behind that. <clears throat> but before he did that, he had to go through two different animals had to be sacrificed and then he went through that curtain on behalf of all the children of Israel who had been bringing their sacrifices during the year and everybody would wait there was a great hush because if that man if something was not quite right on one of those animals if there was a blemish and to make sure there wasn't a blemish the priests went over those animals 
with almost with a magnifying glass to make sure they were spotless. Because if they weren't, that man would never come out. He would die. You can't stand in the presence of God with sin. Of course, that's the Old Testament picture <clears throat> fulfilled by Christ. He entered the veil, <clears throat> the very presence of God, not that temple. When he died on the cross, that curtain was ripped in half. That's no longer the way. That was just a picture. And what happened? He entered heaven itself. And how do we know that sacrifice was accepted? Because he came back. Up from the grave he arose. And so, because the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, <clears throat> we know that justification is possible, that forgiveness of sins is possible. Romans 4.25 tells us, He was delivered for our offenses, our sins, and was raised again for our justification. What a wonderful thing. Raised for our justification, the message of the resurrection. Fifthly, <clears throat> the resurrection gives assurance to his followers that death is not the end. 1 Corinthians again, chapter 15. If you've still got the place, otherwise I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and uh, verse 20 to 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, you are in Adam, I am in Adam. We came from Adam, we're going to die. But even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. The resurrection gives us the assurance that beyond death is life, life eternal. But you've got to be in Christ. That's what the verse says. <clears throat> we start off in Adam, and you don't get in Christ by getting baptized. You don't get in Christ by attending a service like this. You don't get in Christ by praying. You don't get in Christ by reading the Bible. It'll tell you how to get in Christ. You get in Christ by coming to the one who rose from the dead, the living Lord Jesus Christ, and repenting of your sins, believing that he died on that cross for your sins, you ask him to come into your heart and take that sin away, the sin for which he died. And if you've done that, my brother, my sister, then you know without a doubt that beyond death is life, life eternal. <clears throat> but more than that, sixthly, the resurrection gives us a hope. We're not waiting for death. We don't look forward to death. Because in John chapter 14, uh, verse 3, the Lord Jesus said, If I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself. He went away. He went to the cross, he went to the grave, but he rose up and he's coming again. We have a wonderful hope because we know he's alive. He, we know he's coming back 
to take away every true born-again believer, everyone who is in Christ, will be gone. <clears throat> and the twinkling of an eye will hear, <clears throat> the trump of God will sound, and suddenly every believer will be gone. Gone to be with him forever. That's our hope. So no matter how dark and dismal the days may be today, maybe you've lost your job, you turn on the news and you hear some terribly dismal things happening, the country's getting more and more evil, um, people are losing their jobs, money's getting devalued. Well, you know, the darker things are, the nearer our hope is. And so we have this wonderful hope. Why? Because he rose from the dead. <clears throat> but the resurrection also reminds us that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that means a born-again believer, you will have to face the judgment. Acts chapter 17, if you'd like to turn to it, or I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 17, <clears throat> verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. What times? These people that were being talked to were the Greeks. They were worshipping God through all kinds of idols. That's what we see, saw in Africa when we went there 54 years ago. And God, and God says here, These times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, now that he's alive from the dead, <clears throat> he commands all men everywhere to repent. All men. And women, of course. Everywhere. Africa and America. To repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness <clears throat> by the man whom he has ordained. And who is that one? Well, it tells you who he is. By the one who has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. No excuses accepted on that day. No excuses, oh, but you know, sin is so strong, the devil was so great, the temptations I faced were tremendous, peer pressure was there knocking me down and so on. No, no excuses will be accepted. Why? We will have to face the judge. And who will be the judge? The one who walked for 33 years on this earth, who knew no sin, who did no sin. In him was no sin. And he's the one they nailed to a cross. But three days later, he rose from the dead <clears throat> as a reminder to every person who has never repented of their sins that he, the day of judgment is coming. And I hope, my dear friend, if you're here this morning, that you are ready for the judgment day. People don't like to talk about that, but it needs to be talked about because the Bible talks about it. If you are not in Christ, if you have not turned from your sin and put your trust in the living Savior, you are going to be judged for your sin. He died for you. He took your judgment already, but you are saying to him, I don't want it. You know, a guy out in the bush there, <clears throat> he stole a cow. 
So he was taken to the court, <coughs> and, the, and the, 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 the court assessor, he said, well, you're going to have to pay. You have to pay, I don't know what it was, 300,000 kwacha or something. He said, I've got no money. Well, then you've got to go to prison. His friend came and said, I'm going to pay. Here you are, 300,000 kwacha, paying on his behalf. And the fellow looked at him and said, no, I don't want your money. So where is he? He ended up in prison. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. But if I don't want that forgiveness that he bought with his blood on that cross of Calvary, I will have to pay for my sin myself. I am spurning the love of God shown to me on that cross. <clears throat> and so... The resurrection just reminds us that the judgment day is coming. And I trust that each of you in this building this morning will have turned from your sin to the living God by trusting in his son, the Lord Jesus, for forgiveness and salvation. <clears throat> How can we believe the resurrection? You know, it's one of these things like um, stories like the creation story. Um, like Jonah and the, and the big fish, a whale. It's really a big fish in Hebrew. <clears throat> the resurrection, can we believe them? Yes, because the resurrection proves to us that this book is God's book. But another way is to think of the effect of the resurrection of Christ on the lives of different people. Let's think about that for a moment. Peter. Peter left his fishing, and for three years he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. He began what he hoped would be a new life. <clears throat> but at the end of those three years, this big, tough, strong fisherman was sitting around a fire while the Lord Jesus was being judged within <clears throat> and a little girl comes, that's what the Bible says, a maid comes along and says, he is one of them, one of his followers. And he's afraid of this little maid. And with cursing and swearing, he probably hadn't used those words since he left his fishing three years before. He goes back to his old characteristics. <clears throat> cursing and swearing, he says, I don't know the man. Three times he denied the Lord, and the Lord looked at him, and Peter burst into tears and went out weeping. Frightened, a failure, defeated, discouraged. You turn over a page from John 21. In fact, John 21. He's gone back to his fishing. He says, I'm going fishing. He hadn't fished for three years. But he's given it all up. What's the point? I'm a terrible failure. You feel like that? You turn over the page to the Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. This same man, who was afraid of a little girl, now he's standing on the steps of the great temple... And he's proclaiming to all these people who nailed the Lord Jesus to the cross. And he says, you have murdered the Son of God. 
completely unafraid. And from there he went on to live a life of fearless <clears throat> boldness uh, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ until finally, tradition says, he himself was crucified. <clears throat> Why was he willing to do that? What made the change? The change may, was, was, came about because Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And he rose again. And we didn't finish reading in 1 Corinthians 15. But it tells us there, the Lord appeared to Cephas. That's Peter's other name. And when Peter realized the Lord is alive, so my sin can be forgiven. I can have new spiritual life. Not just hanging on, as it were, following him, but with spiritual life. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed that man's life completely. I think of his, <clears throat> the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> his name was James. There were a number of them, of course, but the name James is usually the one mentioned. <clears throat> and he and his half, and the other half-brothers, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 21, they came to where Jesus was preaching and they said, this guy is mad. Well, you know, that's not such a, an unusual kind of an assumption to make. Why? Why? Because Jesus was claiming to be God the Son. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, if you started saying that, I'm sure your brothers would say, you're mad. You know, there's only three positions you can take when you think about this. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, dying on the cross, and then being raised from the dead for our justification. You either say, he's mad. <clears throat> Doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe that's the kindest thing to say. Or you say, he's a liar. But James wouldn't call him a liar because he'd been brought up with him. And he knew the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third option you have is he's telling the truth. And he is God the Son. There's no other options. And if you've never come to Christ, <clears throat> what do you think about Christ? Is he a liar? Oh, you say he's a very good man. Well, if he's a good man, was he a madman? No. Well, how can a good man be a liar? You see, you have no other option but to come to the conclusion that he is the one he said he was. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God, in other words. <clears throat> now James said he's mad. But you've turned over a few pages to get to the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, you find what? James has been changed. Now, he's submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's put his trust in him as his savior. He's become one of his disciples. Why? Because he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ alive from the dead. The resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> so many examples. I think of perhaps one of the... Uh, <clears throat> one most wonderful example is this young guy called Saul. You read about him in Acts chapter 7, beginning of 8. Probably the most highly educated fellow 
in, the, in, 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 in Palestine in those days. If he was here today, he'd probably have two or three PhDs at the end of his name. <clears throat> Highly educated, came from Tarsus, came to Jerusalem. And while he was there wondering what to do with his life, he'd been studying the law all his life. Now he wants to serve God. And he sees a big commotion over where the priests and the Sanhedrin are meeting. He goes there and he sees they listening to a man called James, uh, sorry, Stephen. <clears throat> and then he sees them rushing out of this place with Stephen, dragging him along outside of the city and stoning him to death. And he was there. And as they picked up those stones, they put their jackets down at Saul's feet and said, look after this young fellow while we do our work. And he saw them stoning him to death. The first martyr, he witnessed that. And he said in his heart, that'll be my job. I'll wipe out the name of this man Christ from the whole world. And beginning from that day, Saul began to, to get a hold of every Christian he could find, beating them up and throwing them into prison. And having done the job in, in, in Judea, <clears throat> these chief priests and so on, they said, this man is the guy we want to use. And so they gave him letters of authority to go to Syria, the next country over. He went there expecting to wipe the name of Christ off the face of this earth. When he got there, he had changed completely. He was a changed man. He lost his job. He lost his friends. He changed his religion, or he lost his religion. And he ended up many times being beaten, being imprisoned, being shipwrecked. And finally, a thousand miles or more away from his home, he had his head cut off in a Roman prison <clears throat> for the name of the very one he had wanted to destroy, the name of Christ. So this young man, from the most vehement opposer of Christ, he became the most ardent follower of Christ. From the one who intended to wipe the name of Christ off the face of the earth, he became the one who spread the name of Christ to more countries than any other missionary has ever done. What made the difference? Well, he tells you. He met the living Lord Jesus Christ. Twice in the book of Acts, he recounts it. And many times in the epistles, he refers to it. He knew this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, was God. And that he was alive from the dead and therefore he was willing to give up his whole life, <clears throat> his whole uh, ambitions and everything he'd studied for in order uh, to serve the one who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. <clears throat> you know, it's not just um, an intellectual argument that changed Saul, that intelligent young man, oh no. But he met the living Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Back in 1 Corinthians 15, we read this. <clears throat> Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and the third day rose again, according to the scriptures. 
Now let's think of some modern men. A man by the name of Frank <clears throat> Morrison. He belonged to a certain uh, denomination and during their services, especially at this time of the year, they would repeat this section of scripture publicly. And Frank Morrison <clears throat> had become very interested in physics, physical science. And the more he studied physics, the more he began to think there could, no, could not possibly be such a thing as a resurrection. <clears throat> and so when they quoted this verse in, 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 the, in that particular church, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He shut his mouth tight. He would never repeat that last phrase. The third day he rose again from the dead. <clears throat> you see, he had a rationalistic uh, conception or idea of the universe. That means no miracles, no resurrection, nothing that can't be proved by the laws of physics. Oh, he believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was a good man. I mean, he used to go to church. That he was a great teacher. That he was a supremely great man. These are the words I'm quoting from him, by the way. But he said he's not the son of God and he's not the only savior of the world. <clears throat> and he certainly did not rise from the dead. And because he said nothing of value has ever been written uh, to prove that Christ did not rise from the dead, he said, I will write something. And so for 10 years he studied the subject in depth. And he said this, <clears throat> I will believe nothing which cannot be proved by the laws of physical science. Everything must fit the mold of the rationalistic conception of the universe, which means everything must be reasonable, provable according to uh, the way physicists reason. In other words, must obey the laws of physics. <clears throat> and for 10 years he did his research, and then he had this to say. He said, I came across a major problem. He said, I found that certain facts wouldn't fit this mold that I had set up for myself. That it, they must follow the laws of physics that control the universe. But certain facts, and he calls them facts, don't fit that mold. He said, you can't change the facts. The only thing an honest man can do, he said, is to impartially and patiently examine those facts. So that's what this fellow did. And to his complete surprise, he discovered that in spite of the laws of physics, Christ arose from the dead. He discovered that contrary to all known laws of the universe, Christ did rise from the dead. In fact, this man says, <clears throat> he concluded that the resurrection is the most authenticated fact of history. We've quoted just a few people, you know, whose lives were changed. We had a big debate in, in Zambia once, uh, a guy on evolution arguing about all the theories of evolution. <clears throat> and he wanted to know why I just quote the Bible. I said, well, I gave him some of the things I've said this morning. 
I said, but I said, the greatest thing I want to tell you is this. We could leave this room tonight, and within a square mile, we could find drunkards, prostitutes, um, thieves, who were drunkards, prostitutes, and thieves, but today their lives are changed completely. How? Because Christ rose from the dead. The living Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> alive from the dead. I think of a young man in Romania, <clears throat> an atheistic country, no God, they said, as he was being brought up, but deep in his heart he knew there was something wrong. And people are taught these things, and by the way, when they do all these things which you hear about today, deep down in their hearts, the Holy Spirit is still working in many of them. So don't give up. Pray. Seek opportunities to give them the Word of God. Well, this young man, he got saved in this communistic country. And he knew the Lord Jesus Christ was alive because his heart had been changed, his life had been changed. He went back to his house and he says this, when I got to the door, my brother must have heard about this because he was waiting for me with a pistol in his hand. And he said to me, give up Christ or I'm going to shoot you. The young fellow said, I couldn't give up Christ. He's alive, living in my heart. How can I give up Christ? So he told his brother, I can't give up Christ because I know he's alive. He's changed my life. And he said, I saw my brother's finger tightening on the trigger. And suddenly from that position it started trembling and the gun dropped to the floor. <clears throat> and his brother said, please show me how I can meet the living Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is alive. That's the message the world needs to know. And you'll know it when you and I live our lives <clears throat> in a way that shows to them that Jesus Christ is alive. The resurrection is the key to life, real life. It's God's truth on the seal seals the truth that this book is God's book, that Jesus Christ is God, the only Savior, that he's coming again, that our hope is not vain, but that the judgment is also coming, and you can't escape it if you haven't come to Christ. And so in closing, <clears throat> let me say this. It's not enough to come to this meeting and say, yes, the day of resurrection, wonderful. Oh, no, that won't get you to heaven. You won't evade the judgment that way. You have to come to the one who is alive from the dead. He's alive and he's in this room and he's knocking at the door of your heart as Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. You see, you have to open the door of your heart to the living Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for you according to the scriptures, who was buried, and who the third day rose again according to the scriptures. And that's how you'll get saved. There's no other way. And if you've never done it before, bow your heart before him right now and tell him, Lord,
I believe you died for my sins according to the scriptures. I believe that you were buried, but I believe that you're alive today. Please come into my heart and take that sin away and make me your child. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful message you've given us in your word. The fact that your son didn't only die for our sins, and we're so grateful that he did that, but Father, we are even more grateful for the fact that he finished the work and that he rose again from the dead for our justification and that many of us here know him as a living person in our lives, leading us and guiding us and directing us. And we thank thee for that. Father, please work in the hearts of each one who does not yet know him. Perhaps they are struggling, wondering what to do. Please help them to open the door of their hearts, Father, and in simplicity and quietness, simply ask him who's alive from the dead to enter their hearts and save them. Please bless your word that we've listened to today and use it in our own hearts to encourage us or to continue to convict us of sin if we've not yet accepted your Son as our Savior. We commit ourselves to you in his precious name. Amen.